Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our day to do meditation together. It's Wednesday of our group learning program where we come together to support, encourage, and motivate each other in our meditation practice where we can all be meditating together and also I can make myself available to help you with any questions that you're having along this path to enlightenment. Whether you would like to ask questions about something that we covered just this Sunday in terms of our chapter 19, the difficult human existence, sickness, aging, and death, or if there's any aspect of this path that you would like to talk about at all, you're welcome to bring that up during today's class. I would like to just thank you for joining for today's class and deciding that it's important for you to dedicate time and effort towards your practice of building up your meditation practice, but also your entire life practice towards enlightenment and progressing on this path to enlightenment. So just to remind you a bit about breathing mindfulness meditation and why we're actually doing this is this is the primary method of meditation that the Buddha taught as part of his path to enlightenment. He prioritized breathing mindfulness meditation above all other styles of meditation. So while meditation is very important and you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment with only meditation, you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment unless you learned all the other teachings as well. So it's important that we learn and practice meditation and build up that practice as well as learning all the other wisdom of this path. We can't just meditate our way to enlightenment, but we wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment without meditation either. And the reason why breathing mindfulness meditation is the primary method of practice of meditation that the Buddha taught is because it addresses the problem of discontentedness. The problem that he discusses in the Four Noble Truths, which is craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness. This is what's causing the mind to be discontent. When the mind is longing, when it's chasing the objects of its affection, when it's wanting certain things, when it has certain expectations, this is the mind longing or yearning for something, chasing after the objects of its affection. And as long as it does that, it's going to continue to experience discontentedness. So since the mind is causing itself to be discontent, due to craving, desire, attachment, we can use breathing mindfulness meditation as well as all the other teachings of the Buddha in order to train the mind to no longer have that unwholesome quality of mind. So while we're in meditation, we're focusing on the breath. The breath is the single focus. It's the object of concentration that we focus the mind and fixate it on the sound of the breath coming into the nose or the sensation of air moving into the nose. But then, because of the condition of the mind and the mind moving off the breath, 
then that's where you're gaining control over the mind because the mind wants to be this wild animal. It wants to run away. It doesn't want to be trained. So when you're trying to focus the mind on the breath, the mind's going to say, no, 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 no. I want to be over here. And that's where when you observe that through mindfulness, when you observe with awareness of mind that the mind is moving off the breath, you cut that off, let it go and bring it back to the breath. And then you're there for a few seconds or a few minutes or whatever. And then you notice the mind's going to move off the breath again. And that's where you catch it, bring it back. And you're going to keep doing this over and over and over again in this meditation session and every other meditation session you have. Even when the mind is enlightened, it's still going to have thoughts. It's going to have occasional thoughts. When you first start, it might be like rapid fire when you're first starting out on this path. You might be bombarded with various thoughts. But then as you train more and more weeks, more and more months, and you gradually get the mind trained, you'll end up starting to get these little gaps. It might start with five or 10 seconds of gaps where it's just the mind is completely still and peaceful. The Buddha calls it quieting the mind. You've quieted the mind. You haven't eliminated the thoughts. You've just quieted it. And you experience these five or 10 seconds of gaps, but then there's another thought, right? And then as you train for weeks and months, then maybe you get 30 seconds or a minute of quietness and peacefulness in the mind. The mind has been stilled, but then there's another thought, right? And each time you experience a thought, you cut that off, let it go and come back to the breath. And this helps you to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, the cause of discontentedness in the mind. And now you're gaining control or mental discipline of the mind. So rather than the mind controlling you, you're able to control the mind more and more. So in daily life, when you're out and about and you're experiencing different things and something comes up in the mind and you know it's an unwholesome thought, you can cut that off and let it go really easily because you've trained for many, many sessions in breathing mindfulness meditation. But in daily life, you'll have wholesome thoughts. And that's where you allow those wholesome thoughts to come into the mind in daily life and you handle whatever you need to handle or have whatever idea you would like to have. But whenever you observe unwholesome thoughts in daily life, you cut those off and let them go. And you'll be able to more easily do that when you've trained in breathing mindfulness meditation. In breathing mindfulness meditation, we cut off all thoughts because now we're training right? We're not trying to encourage the mind to have thoughts. We're not observing the thoughts. We're not judging the thoughts. We're not analyzing the thoughts. We're not trying to figure out where they come from. Just whenever we observe that the mind is off the breath, we cut it off, let it go and come back to the breath, just continuously doing that all the way throughout the meditation. And this is what actually produces the long-term peacefulness in the mind. Because when the mind has eliminated craving, desire, attachment, no longer having this mental longing with strong eagerness, chasing after the objects of our affection, having these wants and expectations, when we eliminate those, now the mind can experience peacefulness because it can be content if it's sunny outside and it can be content if it's raining outside. The mind is, doesn't long for sunshine. It doesn't have this yearning for sunshine. So now when it rains, the mind's like, oh, it's raining outside. I hate it when it rains, right? If the mind is thinking this way, then that means it craves sunshine, right? So what an enlightened mind is going to experience is an enlightened mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy 
whether it's sunny out or whether it's rainy out, either way. And the way that you get to that is by eliminating the craving desire attachment and breathing mindfulness meditation is an important tool for us to do that. So today I'll guide you in a breathing mindfulness meditation session to help you eliminate some of this craving desire attachment in the mind and start to diminish the discontentedness and helping you to quiet the mind. But let me open up to any questions to see if you guys have any questions on breathing mindfulness meditation before we start. We'll also open up to questions after meditation. So any questions you might have, you can ask those at that time as well. The way you ask a question is put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom in the comment section. Our moderators will see that. Or if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions directly. Hello, sure. Well, since that, uh, Marcia has a question. I apologize. I can't find the little icon for her hand. Um, when I'm trying to cut off like those thoughts, I find that sometimes I get aggressive with myself, like my self-talk gets aggressive. I should obviously, and I just want to confirm that I should be trying to use right speech with myself, correct? Yes. When I'm trying to cut. Okay. Yes. And also don't have a craving to eliminate craving. Right. This can be a problem, too. If you have this longing, this yearning, it's like, I just want to get rid of this craving. Then that's going to cause discontentedness in the mind, too. So you kind of have to, yeah, be kind, be polite, be friendly and respectful to yourself as well. And, you know, just kind of coax the mind, just kind of coax it into letting go. Well, it seems that a, for someone who is starting to practice meditation for the first time, it's uh, the mind is most of the time is of the breath. In these cases, do you suggest that one stop meditating and start meditating in another time when the mind is ready? This is actually all the more reason to meditate is that if you're noticing that the mind is off the breath and it tends to be off the breath a lot, this is mindfulness. This is awareness of mind. So there's no such thing as a bad meditation session. Sometimes when people first start and they're bombarded with thoughts and they can't stay on the breath for any period of time, they judge their meditation and they say, oh, that was a bad meditation. And then when they noticed a bit of quietness in the mind, like, oh, that was a good meditation. So it's important to not judge your meditation. Your meditation is whatever it is. So if we judge meditation as good and bad, then there's going to be discontentedness when you feel like you've had a bad meditation session. But if you're sitting in meditation for 15, 20, 30 minutes, and all you observe is, man, the mind is just so busy. This is mindfulness. This is awareness of mind. This is what you're cultivating. You're cultivating mindfulness and concentration during this meditation, and you're eliminating craving, desire, attachment. So if you finish your meditation session at whatever point with the understanding that, wow, the mind is really busy today, and I should probably take things a bit slower in my day and really think through the decisions that I'm making today because I know the mind is quite busy, that was a successful meditation session. Somebody might get up for meditation and think like, wow, I was bombarded with thoughts. That was so horrible. I'm no good at meditation. But in reality, you walked away with more wisdom. You walked away with insight. You realize that the mind's busy and now you take your day a bit slower because now that you have that wisdom, you make improved decisions that you say, okay, I'm gonna go a bit slower in my day today with my work 
or if I'm involved in other aspects of personal life or involved with my children, I'm going to really take things slow because I know the mind is really busy and I'm interested to only make wise decisions here. If I move too fast in my day, it's not going to be good. So let me work on slowing things down. Another thing you might decide is doing more meditation in one day. If you notice in the morning that your mind is bombarded with thoughts, then that gives you a reason to say, you know what, let me definitely get two, three, four, five, six meditations in today. There were days where I used to do sometimes six meditations in one day if the mind needed it. If that's what it needed, that's what I would do. So it's important to not judge your meditation as good or bad and to stick with it. Don't give up and to build up to two or three sessions a day for up to 30 minutes or more. And of course, it's going to take time to build up to that. Well, uh, on YouTube, we have a question from uh, Tricia Dawkins. She writes, hello, David. I know you mentioned that it took six years for the Buddha to reach enlightenment. Was the story about sitting under the Bodhi tree a real story? Based on everything that is shared, he did sit under the Bodhi tree and he was there for seven weeks. But oftentimes what people think is that he sat down, he meditated and then boom, he got to enlightenment. It was like like a flip of a switch. But this isn't true. This isn't what he says. What he talks about is this gradual progression. And you probably have observed that in your own life. Because if you understand that the problem in the unenlightened mind is ignorance or the unknowing of true reality, and what transforms that is wisdom, then we have to gradually cultivate this wisdom over an extended period of time. So it's not possible to sit down, meditate, and instantly become enlightened. But a lot of people think that's what the Buddha did because we attribute this tree with being where he attained enlightenment. But when you look at what the Buddha did and you look at his own words, he says very clearly that, you know, it wasn't, you know, a sudden thing, that it was a gradual training, gradual practice, and that led to gradual progression. But because we attribute the Bodhi tree with his enlightenment as the location that he attained enlightenment, we attribute that location, but that's not what happened. He didn't instantly sit down, meditate, and attain enlightenment. It was a gradual progression over multiple lifetimes really is what the Buddha talks about, even though it was that six year journey where he was really dedicated to attaining enlightenment. That was his six year journey. But when you look at deeply in his teachings, he talks about how multiple lifetimes he was cultivating the qualities that he was going to need as a Buddha in order to attain enlightenment by himself. Another question from Tricia, she writes about his meditation to reach enlightenment. Please explain. Yeah, so this meditation, breathing mindfulness meditation, is what he prioritized as being the meditation that he relied on most frequently. And of course, loving kindness meditation is the second one. But breathing mindfulness meditation was the priority because craving desire attachment is the cause of discontentedness. And that's what we're working to eliminate. In order to get to enlightenment, you have to eliminate ignorance. Yes, that's like the number one hindrance to enlightenment. But once you start gaining the wisdom, the first thing you understand is, ah, what's causing the discontentedness is craving desire attachment. So let me work on eliminating that. And it's breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity 
that are the two generalized trainings that work towards training the mind to let go. Because what the unenlightened mind wants to do is it wants to hold on. And by holding on, that's what's causing its own discontentedness. So what we're training in meditation, this breathing mindfulness meditation, is training the mind to let go, let go, let go, and get better and better at that. So he trained with this during his whole six years, but then we attribute him coming to this tree and sitting down and meditating. And then he spent seven weeks there contemplating whether or not he was going to share these teachings with the world or not. Because what he had discovered was so radically different than what was being practiced at that time. At that time, there were multiple teachers sharing teachings in all these different groups and all these different communities, and all of them were claiming that they had attained enlightenment. But the Buddha knew that they hadn't attained enlightenment because he knew what enlightenment was, he experienced it for himself, he knew these teachings that others were sharing weren't going to lead to enlightenment, things like rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship, things like hanging yourself upside down from trees. There were animal sacrifices going on during his lifetime where people were sacrificing animals and things like this. So there were all kinds of different things, beliefs, and practices that were happening. So when he sat down to meditate under this tree, we consider that to be the place where he attained enlightenment just as a way of attributing some location to enlightenment. But in reality, it was this you know long, long journey of, yes, six years, but really many lifetimes before that. And breathing mindfulness meditation is the primary method of meditation that's going to address the primary cause of what's creating the discontentedness in the mind. Thanks, teacher. No more questions. All right. So let's go ahead and do meditation together. So go ahead and get your body ready. Get your lower body in a comfortable position. And your hands and arms should also be in a comfortable position, usually on the lap. The Buddha placed his right hand over his left and his thumbs together. And if that's comfortable for you, you can use that. But if that's not comfortable, there's other options as well. You can put your palms on your thighs or your knees or your armrests or really wherever you'd like. This practice isn't about everyone doing it exactly the same because that's impossible. So your lower body should be comfortable and relaxed, not luxurious, but not painful either. It should be comfortable. Same thing with the hands and arms. They should be comfortable, not luxurious and not painful. The upper body should be erect. This keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation. This keeps the mind engaged during the meditation so that you're actively working with the mind. So keep your upper body erect so that it keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation. Then just close the eyes and you're going to start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Just a nice gradual breath. I'm going to do some chanting to ease us into meditation. If you know these chants, you're welcome to join along. And then I'll be back with some guidance. Hotang mahaka wanhang apiwate o mi. 
breath isn't going to necessarily match with the guidance that I'm giving. This guidance is just to remind you to breathe in through the nose, establishing a nice, steady, gradual breath, and then breathe out through the nose, exhaling nice and gradual, not trying to control the breath, or force the breath, just a nice natural inhale and exhale, breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. 
start fixating the mind on the breath. The sound of the breath or the sensation of air moving into the nose. The breath is the present moment. The mind can reside peaceful and joyful in the present moment. Breathing in. In out. Breathing in. In out. With the mind fixated on the breath, wherever you notice that the mind is not on the breath, Cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. Breathing in. When a thought arises, you haven't done anything wrong. You're not bad at meditation. Wherever there's thoughts, ideas, perceptions, feelings about the past or the future, anything at all that arises in the mind, cut it off, let it go. Don't label it. Don't judge it. Don't try to figure out where it came from. Just as soon as you notice the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath. Breathing in. In out. Breathing in and out. I'm not even interested in the mind holding on to the sound of this voice. I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work of focusing on the breath, cutting off any thoughts and coming back to the breath. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time to focus on the breath. Breathing in. In, out.
พุตังมหากวันหังอภิวาเตมีสวัสดีตมหากวัตตมมุดามังนามาสามสุปฏิปันโนมากวัตโตสาวกสังโฆสังขังนามามิณปโมรสาภากวัตโตอาราตุสัมมาสัมพุทธสานับมุรหสาภากวัตุอาราตุสัมมาสัมพุทธสานับมุรหสาภากวัตุอาราตุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะอิติปิสุมหากวาอรหังสัมมาสัมพุทโวิจจารณังสามโนสขาตโรกาวิตุอนุเตโรภุริสาดามาสติสัตตาวามนุสนังปุตโตภากวัตี All right, if you guys would like to make your way out of meditation, just gradually come back. We can go ahead and open up to any questions that you guys have about meditation or anything along this path. The way that you ask a question is just put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom in the comment section, or in Zoom you can actually electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly if you like. So I'll just turn things over to you to see if you guys have any questions. Well, some people share that while meditating, one should be meditating with a bare feet so that earth energy will flow through the body. Do you agree with this? There's not just one permanent way to have the body during meditation, because everybody's going to be a bit different. You know, if you're meditating out in the forest in the snow, having bare feet is not a wise thing to do. So we shouldn't think that there's these permanent answers about the way that we should configure the body during meditation. This is why the Buddha gave us four different positions. Seated, lying, standing, and walking. 
Here in Thailand, of course, you know, we meditate a lot with our socks off, but not because we're meditating with our socks off. It's just because, you know, we tend to walk around barefoot. But there are certainly times where you can meditate with socks on and it's going to be just as beneficial because what you're doing in meditation is you're training the mind. You're not training the body. There's not this energy that's coming in through your feet and moving through your body and doing all kinds of miraculous, superstitious, mysterious things. What it is, is you're training to eliminate these three unwholesome roots or these three poisons or these three fires in the mind. And each meditation and each aspect of the Buddhist teachings is working to training the mind to improve the condition of the mind. So what we wear isn't important as much as it is to ensure the body is comfortable. It shouldn't be painful. It shouldn't be luxurious. It should be comfortable. So socks on, socks off, shoes on, shoes off, with a cushion, without a cushion, cross leg, laying, standing, walking, all these different options are available. Well, on Zoom, uh, sorry, on Facebook, Biblo writes, Sayer, what is thought or thinking? You know, the mind, the consciousness is going to produce various thoughts or various aspects that arise in the mind. And this is normal. This is actually beneficial. This is how we get the idea of doing certain things. So the challenge for us in the unenlightened state is that there's these unwholesome thoughts that are coming to the mind, maybe like killing or stealing or having sexual misconduct or lying or taking substances that cause heedlessness or speaking aggressively and harshly or chasing after money and possessions and all these different things, right? There's all kinds of of unwholesome thoughts that come to the mind. What you're doing is you're training the mind to eliminate craving, anger, and ignorance, which through eliminating that on this path, then you're going to eliminate the unwholesome thoughts, the, the arising of a thought of something that you think about. And then what you would like to do is cultivate the wholesome. And the Buddha shares wholesome qualities as part of this path so that you can cultivate that in the mind. And then as you train the mind more and more and you get rid of these pollutions of craving, anger, and ignorance, and more and more you're permeating in the mind the generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom along with other wholesome qualities, there won't be any unwholesome thoughts that arise in the mind. As you get closer to enlightenment, and actually the mind is enlightened, there's no such thing as an enlightened being thinking, you know, I kind of enjoyed it when I used to drink alcohol and I was vomiting and had headaches and all that stuff. I think I'm going to go back and start using alcohol again. That was really fun, laying in my vomit and, you know, falling down the street. That was actually quite fun. An enlightened being is not going to think that way because they've purified the mind of all that craving, anger, and ignorance, the unknowing of true reality. And they now have this wisdom that's in the mind, this generosity, this loving kindness and wisdom. So the thoughts, I don't know how to define it other than look at a dictionary and see what it says, but I think of it as as an idea or something that arises in the mind. He continues asking, when we are thinking, is it due to craving? craving or thought are they the same or different they're different a craving and a thought are completely different but you can have a thought that has craving in it what craving is is craving is a mental longing for something with a strong eagerness this is where the mind is longing so it might have a thought 
about a pair of shoes. You know, I kind of need a new pair of shoes. Oh, that new pair that came out. Oh, I really want to get that. Now that's the craving. The thought of, hmm, I'd like to get a new pair of shoes. My shoes are kind of falling apart and I need to get a pair of shoes or else I'm not going to be able to protect the feet. That's a thought. But then when there's mental longing and strong eagerness, that yearning, chasing after the objects of our affection, that's the actual craving. So these are two different things. You can have a thought that's just a thought, but you can also have a thought that has craving, desire, attachment in it. I looked this up, Biplob. The dictionary is saying what a thought is. It's an idea or opinion produced by thinking or occurring suddenly in the mind the action or process of thinking. It's defining it as kind of like an opinion or an idea, a notion, something like that. Well, uh, it's clear that the mind is affected and improved by practicing meditation, especially uh, breathing mindfulness meditation. But uh, is it true that even the body experiences some changes due to practicing meditation? The change that the body experiences, it's all because of the mind. So the mind is the boss, the body is the employee. So if the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, the mind is tranquil, the mind is still, the mind is calm, then the body is going to experience the same thing. And conversely, if the mind is stressed, if it has anxiety, if it has anger, if it has sadness, the body's going to experience that as well. This is why people who have a lot of stress get tension in the neck and on the shoulders. It's coming from the mind. The mind is stressed, and then now that's coming into the body. So the mind is the boss, and the body's just following along like an employee. So that's why everything we do in this practice is we're always focused on training the mind, because the body will follow right along with it. So if we can train the mind to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, then the mind's tranquil, the body's going to be tranquil. When the mind feels very light and liberated, it's not bound up with all this pollution, all these fetters, all these taints, when the mind's not bound up, the body won't be bound up. So if you've experienced aches and pains in the body as a result of mental anguish, it's the mental anguish that we need to solve. And this is one of the things that took me towards sharing these Buddhist teachings more and more because at one time in my life, I used to have a business that was massage centers and actually a training center to train people how to do massage and one of the things that i learned through that experience of for five years i did massage but of course we had employees too by the time we were done i had 20 or 25 employees and a really nice massage center massage is outstanding for us you know it's something that's really helpful but one of the things that i observed is that no matter how much work that we did on the physical body if the person isn't training their mind, the problems in the body are just going to reoccur. So it's great for us to use massage to fix the physical body. But as long as the person isn't also training the mind, you can fix the physical body with all kinds of massage techniques and other things. But they're just going to reoccur because the mind is still conflicted. It still has pollution. So anybody who is looking to improve the quality of their life they should be looking to train the mind and yes we need to do certain things like massage and others in order to kind of 
help the body feel less pain. But once you get to the point where the mind is tranquil, the body will be tranquil too. You'll still experience an occasional ache and pain even when the mind's enlightened because that's there for a reason that the pain in the body is telling the mind something's wrong. And as the body ages, it's going to feel occasional aches and pains. If you've ever come home from work and you felt like you were just carrying a ton of bricks on your shoulders, or that maybe your feet felt like you were walking in concrete or walking in mud and you just felt like you were weighing five times more or 10 times more than the body actually weighs, this is because of what's going on in the mind. The Buddha calls craving, desire, attachment a burden. And when you're carrying around this burden of craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness, the mind's never content with where it's at. It's always longing for something else. And this is a real burden to carry around when the mind's chasing after the objects of its affection all day. When the mind's doing that, it can really wear on the body. So this is why we experience aches and pains and tension in the body is because of what's going on in the mind. So while we may use certain things to address the physical pain in the body, if we're combining that with training the mind, then we're actually getting to the root cause of the actual problem. A question from Dennis. I notice I feel annoying itching that moves to different areas of my face. Why does this happen? This is just bodily sensation. This is just what the body's going to experience. The body's not going to be permanently comfortable because that would be permanence. And the, the Buddha taught the universal truth of impermanence. So there's going to be occasional itches and things like this all throughout your life because the body can't be permanently comfortable. But what you can do is you can train the mind to not be shaken up by that to not be irritated, to not be annoyed. So when you're in meditation, if you're observing certain itches or certain sensations in the body, just keep focusing on the breath. Just keep bringing the mind back to the breath. And then when you first start this type of training where you observe the itch, you might be able to go three seconds or five seconds without itching. And then you're like, oh, I just got an itch, right? And then you go back to your meditation. But then the next time, maybe you go 10 seconds or 15 seconds, right? And then you've got an itch. But then the next time you challenge the mind a little bit more and you go 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes and you keep getting longer and longer where eventually you'll be able to observe the whole life cycle of the scratch or the itch arise, you'll see it change and then you'll see it fade away because the itch isn't permanent. Just like permanent comfort of the body is not permanent, the itch isn't permanent either. But the mind is maybe shaken up and irritated by this impermanence. So what you do is you train the mind to be unaffected by this impermanence so that when the itch arises, rather than hurrying up and itching it because you're craving permanent comfort of the body, instead just stay focused on the breath and just observe the whole life cycle of that itch and train the mind that you don't need to itch it. And that can be really beneficial for the mind. You can even do this if there's like insects, you know, like flies flying around or mosquitoes. Sometimes they'll even come and land on your head while you're meditating and start walking around. And if you've trained your mind really good with just a simple itch on the face, when you have these situations and the flies like walking around on your head, it's coming down on your nose, you'll be able to 
be so disciplined in your meditation and have so much control over the mind that even that won't bother you. Even a fly going into your ear and walking around, it won't even bother you if you train really deeply. I'm not saying you should aspire for this to happen, but it probably will happen someday, especially if you come here to Thailand and train in Thailand, you'll experience heat and you'll experience insects occasionally and different things like that. And these are all like little assistants that can help you train the mind more. Because if we're like in this perfect sterile environment and we only meditate in this perfect sterile environment, well then as soon as you go outside that perfect sterile environment, because it's not permanent, you're not gonna be able to actually meditate and have mental discipline. So when these little things happen, like little itch or an insect or different things like this, use it as a way to more deeply train the mind to be comfortable with impermanence. Stay focused on the breath. On Zoom, Rekshit writes, Venerable teacher, can you describe the connection link of law of dependent origination with noble eightfold path? Okay, so, Dependent origination connects into the Four Noble Truths, right? The Four Noble Truths connects into right view. So when you look at dependent origination, when you look right in the middle of it, you see craving, right? And the Four Noble Truths is putting the cause of discontentedness under a microscope. And it's just giving you in the Four Noble Truths in four simple statements right? It's just showing you very clearly that it's craving, desire, attachment that is causing discontentedness. But dependent origination is giving you the long view, the step by step by step by step by step. So that's where dependent origination connects into the Four Noble Truths because it's the more detailed version of what's causing discontentedness and what's causing rebirth. And then the Four Noble Truths connects into the Eightfold Path at right view that in order for you to have right view, you need to understand what's causing discontentedness is craving, desire, attachment. But what's really keeping the mind trapped in the unenlightened state is the ignorance. That's what the dependent origination is showing you. And then it's showing you all the detailed steps of that. Well, he continue asking, right view has a cause of discontentedness where it comes. Right mindfulness also has the mindfulness of the four noble truths where also it comes how does this link up teacher right mindfulness doesn't have anything to do with the four noble truths per se in the way that you're explaining what right mindfulness is all about is having awareness of mind and more specifically the four foundations of mindfulness so the four noble truths they don't connect into right mindfulness because they're part of right view Right mindfulness is all about establishing awareness of bodily sensations, feelings, the condition of the mind, and the mental objects. This is where right mindfulness is. So dependent origination and the Four Noble Truths are all part of right view. A question from Jean. She writes, thank you, Teacher David. Would you provide some guidance about carrying, breathing, mindfulness training into our daily activities? Yeah, so your training of breathing mindfulness meditation should be a standalone, independent, dedicated, purposeful training session where you're meditating, you know, two or three times a day for 30 minutes or more. You would like to build up to that. And that's just a standalone meditation. But in daily life, what you're doing now is you're benefiting from the training. 
when you're training in breathing mindfulness meditation, you're arising mindfulness or awareness of mind, those four foundations of mindfulness. You're also arising or cultivating concentration, singleness of mind, being able to focus on just the breath, single focus of mind. And in breathing mindfulness meditation, you're eliminating craving, desire, attachment. So now in daily life, you have more awareness of mind. You have more concentration. You're able to focus on just one thing at a time. And you've got to train your mind even in daily life when you're sitting at your desk and you're on the computer and the mind wants to pick up the phone and eat a sandwich at the same time. You're like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let you do that. I'm only going to focus on the computer. Or if you're watching a YouTube video and you get an email, you might want to leave the YouTube video running while you go look at the email. No, 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 no. You don't want to do that. The mind wants to do that. But you're interested in training this mind to have awareness of mind and just do one thing at a time with focus and concentration. So you put pause on the YouTube video, go read your email. And then if you're going to reply or whatever, or you're going to think about it, then come back to the YouTube video and start watching the YouTube video. You don't want these two things happening at the same time. And you do that all throughout your day is that the mind's going to have this craving. It's going to want to watch a YouTube video or read an email and talk on the phone at the same time. That's the craving desire attachment that you're knocking down. But instead, you're going to practice awareness of mind and realize by doing things just one at a time, that's all the mind can actually do anyway is just one thing at a time. And it's more productive and more successful when you just do one thing at a time because you can bring your full wisdom into the situation. Whereas if we're watching a YouTube video, reading an email and talking on the phone, we're going to not have singleness of mind on the phone and we're going to say things and do things that we would rather we have not done. We're going to regret it later. Or if we're replying on an email and listening to a YouTube video, we're going to not be able to think through our reply in the same way as if we're just single minded. So our meditation is this training that we're doing, this dedicated, purposeful training to cultivate qualities of mind, mindfulness and concentration while eliminating craving, desire, attachment. So now in daily life, we can then practice these qualities. We're not actually meditating during the day in terms of our daily activities, but we're benefiting from that training. The same thing like an Olympic sports star. They're going to go into the gym. They're going to do cardiovascular training. They're going to do weight training. They're going to do agility training. They're going to do all kinds of different trainings. But when they go out and do their sport, they're just doing one sport at a time, right? They're only doing one sport at a time, but they're bringing all that training to bear in their sport. And it's the same thing as we're doing all this training and meditation, and then we're bringing it to bear in our daily life through cultivating and breathing mindfulness, mindfulness, concentration, and eliminating craving, desire, attachment. And then when you're doing loving kindness meditation as well at different times, then you're bringing that into your daily life too, as you're having more loving kindness, which is a genuine interest in seeing all beings be well, and you're eliminating in loving kindness, anger, hatred, and ill will. So now you're getting rid of more and more of these unwholesome qualities that the Buddha identified and you're arising more and more of these wholesome qualities. And this is where it influences your intention, speech and actions and other parts of what you're practicing. And this is where your relationships, both personal and professional, really blossom because your mind is no longer burdened with this pollution of craving, anger and ignorance. 
it's now functioning through this generosity, this loving kindness, and this wisdom. And now all your interactions are just so smooth and easy and seamless as you build up your practice more and more. Jacobs writes, I find that during daily activities, I am often acting based on habits. Yeah, this is the conditioning of our mind that we've grown up being a certain way. And depending on how old you are, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, the mind has been conditioned this whole life in previous lives too to function in a certain way. It's been conditioned to function with craving, anger, and ignorance. Those are conditions. The craving, anger, and ignorance are conditions of the mind. And what we're doing is we're kind of like rerouting, almost rewiring the mind to no longer function that way. And the habits that we have, those are usually based in craving, anger, and ignorance. That's the habits that we just keep reverting to those same old ways of doing things. And what you're doing is you're kind of charting a new path where in the past it might have been easier for us to just be harsh, to just be aggressive, to just be rigid, to just function that way with people. And that's kind of the well-beaten path that we're used to and the mind reverts to. But now we're charting this new course and we're like, no, we're not interested in doing that anymore. We would like to go create this new way of being. And the mind's not going to be comfortable with that change because it's so used to being harsh or aggressive or hostile or whatever it is that you're challenged with. It doesn't want to do this new way because it craves permanence. So that's where the real work is. And it's this inner work. And the Buddha calls it a struggle. He says, don't shrink back from the struggle. Because if you feel your mind struggling, like it wants to be harsh or it wants to be aggressive or it wants to be hostile, and you're struggling to practice this right speech, that's where you're gaining wisdom. That's where the real work is. Where when you're like, okay, I'm going to be complacent. I'm just going to spout off at the mouth and I don't care what happens. Then this is where we cause harm. And it's that struggle that bears the real fruit. That's where the real benefit comes through is when we're going through the struggle. Is meditation beneficial to train the mind to accept sickness, aging, and death without experiencing discontentedness? Yes, because sickness, aging, and death are the three primary things that we experience that are very difficult in the human existence because these are like significant impermanence. When we're sick, not only is the physical body sick, right? The physical body is experiencing this impermanence, but we also tend to retreat from our daily activities. So there's all this life activity that we're not able to take part in anymore because we're sick. This is why a lot of people struggled when COVID first happened and people were in lockdown because they were used to having a daily life of going out and doing certain things, seeing certain people, going shopping, going to work. And then when everybody was asked to stay in the house or stay home, people really struggled with that because their mind was craving this permanence of going outside. So sickness, it's, you know, oftentimes when there's that personal existence view, when people think that this body is me, this body is who I am, that's where we say, I am sick, but I am not sick. The physical body is not well. The physical body is unhealthy, but I am not sick because there's no I here. 
So if you start thinking about the physical body as being sick or when you experience hunger, you think that the body's hungry. I am not hungry, but the body's hungry. The body needs food. I don't have a headache. The head hurts, but I don't have a headache. Because when we take ownership over the I, 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 and we think this body is who we are, now it almost kind of gives us a license to be grumpy and irritable. We kind of think that just because the body's sick or we're having a headache or the body's hungry, that now all of a sudden I am hungry, I need food, I want food, and now we get grumpy and irritable. But we can actually train the mind to not do that, that when we observe that it's just the body that's hungry and I'm not going to be able to have permanent comfort in this body. It's impossible to have permanent comfort. It just doesn't exist. And that's even more motivation, not only to train the mind and get to enlightenment, but to get out of this cycle of rebirth. Because as long as we keep coming back, being reborn over and over again, we're going to experience this sickness, this aging, and this death. And each one of these experiences are very difficult for the human mind to deal with because like I mentioned with sickness, not only do you have the impermanence of the physical body, but you have the impermanence of you can't do your daily activities that you would normally do. And the mind's craving that. And then with aging, right? The mind is craving this youthfulness. It's craving not to feel these aches and pains. It's craving to get healed and get well quickly because when we were younger, we could heal from things very quickly. We could bounce right back. And then with death, you know, we're craving to exist in this world permanently or the mind's craving for other people to exist in this world permanently. So these are three big things that the mind is uncomfortable with. The problem isn't that the body's sick. The problem is that the mind wants to be healthy. The problem isn't that the body is aging. The problem is that the mind wants permanent usefulness. The problem isn't that there's death. The problem is that the mind wants permanent life, and this doesn't exist. So when we understand impermanence, and we're training the mind in meditation to understand impermanence by focusing on the breath, and you see you can't focus on the breath permanently. While you have longer and longer gaps of peacefulness and tranquility where the mind can be on the breath, it can't focus there permanently. It's not possible. And it's not possible for the body to feel permanently comfortable. So that's why you feel the itch on the face or on the body. It's going to experience those things. That's impermanent. So the more you deeply soak impermanence into the mind, the more you can deal with sickness, aging, and death. You should almost get to the point where in your daily life, when you're experiencing impermanence, it's just kind of like, that makes sense, right? Like if you come home in your remote control and your TV is broken, it's like, that makes sense. It's impermanent. Or if your Wi-Fi goes out, that makes sense. It's impermanent. Or your phone breaks, that makes sense. It's impermanent. Where before we used to get angry, right? Before we understood impermanence of our phone broke, we got angry. Or if the Wi-Fi was out, we got angry. Or if our remote control to the TV broke, we got angry, right? But now it's kind of like, yeah, this makes sense. That's impermanence. Yep. It makes complete sense now. And when you have that wisdom, then you're liberated from wanting and craving and clinging for things to be permanent. But you have to go through enough experiences 
just knowing intellectually that things are impermanent isn't going to change the mind in a snap of a finger. You have to experience these different things. Even when you're in a conversation with somebody and somebody disagrees with you, in the past, the mind might have had craving for everyone to agree because we're craving permanence. We're craving for everyone to agree. And we might argue and put pressure on people just to agree with us because we're uncomfortable with the impermanence of somebody disagreeing. So once you understand impermanence and someone disagrees with you with something, it's just like, yeah, this makes sense. You know, you can't have people permanently agree with you. So now that you're on this path and you're understanding the teaching slowly but surely, more and more this world is going to start making sense to you. Where before we used to get frustrated and irritated and annoyed about certain things that are happening in life. Now, the more you understand these natural laws of existence, just like, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Fits in with the universal truth of impermanence. Uh, fits in with the universal truth of discontentedness. Fits in with craving desire attachment or any of the other teachings the Buddha taught. You'll see that he explains everything that's happening around you. And where the struggle and the difficulty comes is we don't understand these natural laws of existence. And that's why we struggled and have difficulties for so long in this life and in previous lives too. But now when you understand this wisdom, you can be liberated from that struggle and difficulty because everything just makes sense. And this is where the Buddha said, you know, if you see the teachings, you see me. Meaning if you know the teachings well enough and you look around the world, you'll see everything's functioning exactly the way the Buddha explained through these teachings. And if you can see the teachings in the world, then you see him because you don't need to see his body, his physical body. You don't need him to be here permanently. If you understand the teachings, then you know he existed because these teachings that you're learning explain what you're experiencing and you'll be able to see him more and more clearly. So he doesn't need to be here permanently. He's shared these teachings and given us these teachings as a way to help us to understand the world and liberate the mind from all these difficulties and struggles. Well, from uh, three hours, I took a nap. And it seems that I had a dream while I was sleeping. I, uh, then I opened my eyes, I woke up, but the mind was still thinking of the same, the same thing I was thinking of while dreaming. I didn't even notice that I woke up, that I opened my eyes. Is this lack of mindfulness or concentration? This is the mind, you know, slowly coming back to awareness and consciousness. And where you observe that, that the mind is holding on to a dream, you also got to cut that off and let that go and realize that that's not reality. That was just a dream. That was the mind doing whatever it does. And now as you're slowly bringing the consciousness back, you train the mind to let that go. Because sometimes you can have a really bad dream and you wake up and now it affects the condition of the mind. And now we walk around grumpy or frustrated or irritated because of this dream that we had. So what a person who's doing breathing mindfulness meditation is doing is they're training the mind to have awareness of the mind. And then when you're aware of certain things, you're able to cut them off and let them go really easily. Something including like a dream. So if you wake up in the middle of the night or at any point during your day from a nap or what have you, and the mind is shaken up by the dream, whether it was a horrible dream or even if it was a pleasant dream, something really pleasant, 
you've got to cut that off and let that go too. And that'll get easier with repeated training of breathing mindfulness meditation. Thank you, Sichot. That's all for today. All right. Well, I would like to just thank you guys once again for joining for today's class. Continue with your meditation practice, building that up. Next Wednesday, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation as a way to help you build up that practice and come together, support, encourage, and motivate each other. So we'll do that together next Wednesday. This Sunday in the group learning program, we're going to be in chapter 20 of the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. This is titled Animal to Human, The Evolution of Our Consciousness. Here I'm going to help you guys see how the unenlightened mind functions very much like an animal. This is where sometimes people get confused thinking that a human being is an animal, but it's actually not. We're in a completely different existence than an animal existence. We've had a lot of animal existences, and that's what's conditioned our mind to function very much like an animal, which is the way we function more in the unenlightened state. But what this path is about is becoming more and more and more human. And that's why if we end up getting to that first or second stage of enlightenment, as we do, and if we die in those stages, we come right back into the human realm because we've become more and more human as part of this path. But in the unenlightened state, we function very much like animals. So I'm going to explain this to you in detail and help you to see this more clearly. And then we'll be able to talk about the cycle of rebirth a bit as an introduction in that class as well. So that'll be this Sunday. So you guys have a very lovely, wonderful rest of your day. And I'll see you either this Sunday or next Wednesday. We'll see you next time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.